Good morning. That was a rousing prelude. Let's say good morning again. Good morning. Welcome to worship this Lord's Day morning, this beautiful day that God has given to us. My hope and prayer for us this week, as always, is that in this holy space, in this sacred time, we experience the love and peace and joy of our Lord Jesus Christ. All are welcome here this day. Please know we have friendship pads located on the inside parts of each of our pews. If you'd be so kind as to fill them out and pass them down and then pass them back. See with whom you are worshiping this day so you may extend the hand of Jesus after worship. We have announcements in our bulletin you may find helpful, uh, including please note that next week we continue our worship at 10 a.m. here in this space. And our worship continues this morning as we spend time in fellowship afterwards, uh, enjoying some wonderful snacks and coffee in our garden room located in that direction. And now let us put aside all that may be occupying our hearts and our minds and our very souls this day. Let us offer ourselves as we worship our triune God. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us stand and call ourselves to worship using these words from Psalm 17. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Let us worship the Lord our God.
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our guilty hearts sprinkled clean, our bodies washed with pure water. Together, let us confess our sins before God and one another. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Deepen within us our sorrow for the wrong we have done and the good we have left undone. Lord, you are full of compassion and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. There is always forgiveness with you. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Bind up that which is broken. Give light to our minds, strength to our wills, and rest to our souls. Speak to each of us, and let your word abide with us until it has wrought in us your holy will. Amen. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Friends, I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. And therefore, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To this peace we were called as members of one body. The peace of Christ be with you. Let us rise and greet one another in the name of Christ. be seated. I invite forward our children for a children's message this morning. Come on up. Great to see you. We have a few. It's getting to that time where we get fewer and fewer. Here they come. Good morning. Come on up. You can have a seat right here. Very good. 
So, in our scripture lesson today, which we'll hear in a few minutes, we discover that sometimes being in relationship with God is more like a wrestling match than it is a breezy walk in the park. We learn that Jacob, do you remember Jacob, the story of Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, the brother of Esau, only knew one way to be, and that is to struggle with everyone and everything, including the Lord. His life was filled with problems, and that's because he caused them for himself. Do you sometimes have that problem? Sometimes the problems that you cause or sometimes are choices that we make? Well, he especially struggled with who God is and what it meant to be a beloved child of God. Do you think that maybe Jacob's contrary nature made it difficult for God to care about him? Maybe? Maybe. That's an honest answer. Well, what we learn in Jacob's story is that no matter what, even when Jacob did the most dastardly things, God loved Jacob, and God chased after Jacob, and God changed Jacob, and God forgave Jacob. And all through that whole process, God, Jacob learned to love God. Do you think we can learn the same thing in our lives? Yeah, that's a great gift and promise. Let's pray. You can repeat after me. Thank you, God, for knowing us and for taking care of us and for loving us no matter what. Amen. All right, you can go back to your seats. In last week's reading, we watched Jacob navigate the wily ways of his father-in-law and uncle, Laban. Over time, the even craftier Jacob gains great wealth at the expense of Laban. When the sons of Laban begin to grumble, Jacob knows it is time for him and his household, including his two wives, sisters Leah and Rachel, to return to his homeland. He does not know what awaits him, as he did not leave under the best of circumstances. We enter our reading here. Let us pray. Our God, whose light overcomes even the darkest of places, illuminate our minds and open our hearts to the grace and mercy and love of your word this day. Amen. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. The same night he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, 
he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. The word of the Lord. I love this Bible story. Our exploration of the book of the beginning, Genesis, continues, as does our time, journeying with the rascal known as Jacob. He has outwitted his brother, deceived his father, and left home to find a wife. He has been tricked into marrying the sister of the girl of his dreams, and finally his beloved, and has worked 14 years for his uncle, slash father-in-law Laban for the privilege. Jacob's wives, Leah and Rachel, and their handmaidens have borne him many children. He has gained wealth through more maneuvering, this time with spotted and striped sheep and goats. And so at the behest of the Lord himself, and before he gets into any more trouble with Laban, Jacob and his entire household are on their way back home, where his brother Esau awaits. This could end very, very badly, and Jacob knows it. And so Jacob sends messengers ahead to find Esau and share with him where he has been and what he has been up to. The emissaries return with a message from Esau. He is coming to meet you with 400 of his men. Jacob begins to worry, and so he does a very un-Jacob-like thing. He prays to the Lord. He admits his fear, and he asks for protection, all while reminding the Lord of all those assurances God made to be with him and take care of him and bring him home. And then Jacob sends servants to Esau with gifts of goats and sheep and camels and all sorts of livestock. Finally, Jacob sends everyone and everything, his entire household, across the river so he can be alone. We do not know exactly why. Perhaps he needs some time to think. Perhaps he wants to ensure their safety in case Esau shows up. Perhaps he figures the reunion between the two brothers is best done with no distractions. What we do know is that Jacob is agitated and working hard to ensure his progeny and wealth 
are protected. Jacob is by himself in the middle of nowhere, just like the night he spent in the wilderness after leaving home all those long years ago. The night when he fell asleep using a rock as a pillow and dreamed that angels were climbing up and down a ladder and the Lord stood beside him and promises were pledged. This night, however, there is no sleep to be had. Instead, Jacob spends the entire night wrestling. We read that a man shows up out of nowhere and initiates the struggle. There's no conversation between them until morning is near. The match is a draw. The man puts Jacob's hip out of joint to try and speed things up. And still, Jacob will not release him. Finally, the man speaks. Let me go, for day is at hand. Jacob, true to his wily ways, says, only if you give me a blessing. So the man asks Jacob his name, changing it from holder of the heel to God contended. For Jacob began his old life holding on to his brother, trying desperately to be born first. Israel begins his new life grappling with the Lord, refusing to give in. The man never identifies himself, but Jacob knows very well who he is, who has grabbed hold of him and battled the deceit out of him, leaving him with a permanent limp to remember it all by. He has not only seen God face to face, he has striven with him, and he has been preserved. Jacob has been changed. Moments later, Esau shows up. Around the year of our Lord, 1659, Rembrandt painted this scene, calling it Jacob wrestling with the angel. You'll see it on the cover of your bulletin, and I invite you to ponder it as I speak. In the painting, Rembrandt envisions the man, an angel, having no trouble with this pesky mortal, the second son of the one named Laughter, the one who outmaneuvered his older brother for the family favor. The expression on the angel's face is downright serene, while Jacob is clearly exerting some effort. Indeed, the wrestling hold looks more like an embrace one in which Jacob struggles, trying to work his way out of, trying to dominate one who only has his best interests at heart. Rembrandt's perception and depiction of the scene of the struggle is enlightening, and it invites us to ponder what it means for each of us when we, too, strive with the Lord. Is this what happens? when we wrestle with God? Does God allow us to brawl, to grapple with him, however long it takes so we can get it out of our systems, so we can have the peace we need to ask for and then receive 
the blessings God has intended for us all along, all while holding us close, supporting us through our hurts and uncertainties, doubts and fears, teaching us how to have faith and believe. And what about God's vantage point, looking at us? What if the transforming work of God happens whether or not we desire it, or see it, or believe it? What if the resulting call upon our lives, upon ourselves, happens in God's timing, happens whether or not we are aware of it, whether we have any idea at all how or even if God will use us in the immediate present or distant future for God's purposes. All because God reached down to us first. We are not told exactly how the encounter changed Jacob or his life. But something shifted in Jacob. Something physical, something spiritual, something emotional. Because clear out of nowhere, Jacob finds himself in a wrestling match with a bum hip and a new name to show for it. One does not escape an encounter with God unaffected. For God's hands craft us. God's breath animates us. God's blood renews and restores and sustains us. And God will change us, will give us new names, because God is faithful to us. Such was the case with Jacob. For the next morning, he reconciled with his brother after many years estranged. We may not want any part of this transformation stuff. We may not want any part of the challenges we must endure in order to be made heirs of the Son. For we are often reluctant, fearful participants, and we grapple with God over everything, hoping we will be the ones to persevere with nothing asked of us, nothing affected in us. We witness in our lectionary's gospel reading from Matthew, this same theme. You'll likely be familiar with this story. For just as Jacob has seen God face to face and argued a bit with him, so do the disciples with Jesus. Jesus, very God, a very God, has just learned of the death of his cousin, John, the one who baptized him and so many others. Jesus needs some time alone, so he climbs in a boat and heads for a remote place. The people and their great need follow. There is no peace or quiet to be had, especially when they begin to get hungry. So the disciples urge Jesus to send them away to get their own food, but Jesus has great compassion for each individual person and begins to challenge his friends, urging them to see and believe that all will be well. 
they shall feed them. The disciples are incredulous, for they only have a measly five loaves and two fish among them. And there are well over 5,000 people milling about. How exactly are they going to manage this? Do they believe what they see? Or do they believe what they don't see? Jesus says, bring what you have to me. And through the blessing and breaking of the bread, proceeds to show his disciples and anyone else who is paying attention that transformation happens in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of struggling to believe, in the midst of being faithful to our call, even if we think that call is sheer madness. Because our God is faithful. And our God is a worker of miracles. All we are asked to do over and over is throw ourselves on the grace and mercy of God. And as with Jacob, to have the moxie, to be bold in our faith, which is in the end a gift of the Spirit. God has given us all we need to be transformed. Do we act like it? Do we believe like it? Do we follow Jesus like it? Are we willing to be changed forever through it? In his classic work, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes of this transformation. I've used this example before, and it bears repeating. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Friends, God is indeed building palaces out of cottages. Whole people out of broken ones. In the midst of it, there will be wrestling there will be woundedness, there will be incredulity. But in the morning, there will be newness of spirit and a grander faith than we can imagine. For we too will see God face to face, and we will have lived. Thanks be to our gracious God. Amen.
Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. According to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus walked with two men on the road to Emmaus, but they did not recognize him. It was only when he broke bread with them that they knew who he was. Faith and understanding are not prerequisites to eat at this table. This table is for those with much faith and for those with little, for those who have been to this table often and those who have not been for a long time, for those who have tried their best to follow and for those who have failed. So come, not because we invite you, but because God invites you. We welcome all those whom God welcomes. be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Great and mysterious God of creation, we do give you thanks for the wonders of life, for the beauty of the world that we live in, and the deep and expansive universe of which we are only a small part. We thank you that you have not left us alone in this world for we are blessed with the community of others. We experience your presence in the love we share and in mysterious ways beyond our abilities to comprehend or to put into words. You are holy, dear God, and blessed is Jesus Christ who came and who comes in your name. Born into a humble family, he challenged the kings and rulers of his day. Submitting himself to baptism and temptation, he redefined what it means to be holy. Teaching with wisdom and authority, he helped us understand you and our world in new and transforming ways. Healing those who were broken, he hinted at the wonders of your new creation. Eating with outcasts and sinners, he showed us how to live with others. Loving you and loving us with his entire being, he demonstrated what it means to be created in your image and to see your reflection in others whether they be our friends or our enemies. Suffering humiliation at the hands of those in power, he displayed the true power of weakness. Rising from the dead, he proved that nothing is beyond the power of your redemptive love. And so we praise you, lifting our voices and singing.
so we are bold to come to you in prayer, naming out loud our joys and our concerns, our happiness and our fears. As we come to share the richness of your table, we cannot forget the rawness of the earth. We cannot take bread and forget those who are hungry. We cannot take this cup and forget those who are thirsty. We cannot hear your words of peace and forget the world at war. We cannot celebrate a family feast and forget our divisions. We cannot gather around this table and forget those who are suffering. So hear us now, loving God, the prayers and petitions of our hearts. For gracious and loving God, infuse this sanctuary with the presence of your spirit. Bring us into communion with Christ as we experience his presence in this sacred meal. May these ordinary elements of life, this bread and this cup, be transformed by your presence into the body and blood of Christ, nourishing us with spiritual food and equipping us to be the body of Christ in the world. In your wonderful Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now in the words our Lord taught us to pray, we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night before he died, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In a similar way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Do this too in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death and resurrection of our Lord until he comes again. Friends, the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen.
please join your hearts with mine in a word of prayer. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. You have so greatly loved us, long sought us, and mercifully redeemed us. As you send us out into the world, may all that we say and all that we do be done in gratitude for the multitude of ways we have been fed by your hand. In your wonderful Son's name we pray. Amen.
be seated. Poet Rainer Maria Rilke, in his classic work, Letters to a Young Poet, wrote this. You must not be frightened if a sadness rises up before you, larger than any you have ever seen. If a restiveness like light and clout shadows passes over your hands and over all you do, you must think that something is happening with you, that life has not forgotten you, that it holds you in its hand. It will not let you fall. Why do you want to shut out of your life any uneasiness, any miseries, or any depressions? For after all, you do not know what work these conditions are doing inside of you. We do not always know how God is at work within us, but we can trust that God is always at work within us. For we are being molded into the children of God. And what a glorious outcome that will be. So go now into our world and live a life filled with this hope and belief so that those who encounter you might be transformed as well. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you now this day as always. Amen. Amen.